0: I think it's uh, apparently bring your wife to work day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Callie, you did a great job. Well done. It's always challenging, you know, as we kind of open up doors for uh, new leaders to step into new places and bring out who God called them to be. So it's always fun. And uh, it takes a lot of courage. If you've never, uh, you know, stood in front of people and started to share, um, it's really, really challenging. So well done, Callie. Well done, Karen. Well done, Dave. And everybody who stands up here, very thankful for you guys. Okay, I'm going to jump right in because I have a lot I want to share today. Uh, we've been doing a series called Building Together, and we've been talking about a little bit of vision about where God's taking us next, um, how we actually build, what that looks like, what may be different than maybe the way you grew up in church or something like that. And so we're touching on different things, and so we started um, preaching into the pattern of, of uh, the biblical patterns and what God does. We talked about how Moses was to build the tabernacle a very specific way, how Noah was to build the ark a very specific way, and uh, we also looked at Jesus' pattern of ministry. We saw um, his life in the Gospels as he is displayed, as he is kind of modeled and put out there. Uh, we see an, this emergence of a particular way of relating to the world around him. We talked about how he related to the world was through this simple picture of up, in, and out, and about you know, up toward the Father and in relationship and ministry of the Holy Spirit through him out into the world. Then he, he came down. This is Mark chapter 9. He came down from the mountain after being in ministry and connection with the with the Father. And he comes down and he connects with the disciples around him. And from that place of connection with disciples and brothers and sisters, he went out into the world. He heals someone. He casts out demons. He, he does his ministry and then eventually he taught us to do the same thing. All of us are supposed to have the same pattern in our life. A relationship that's up to, toward the Father and the ministry of the Holy Spirit through us. We're supposed to be in relationship with brothers and sisters. And we're supposed to reach out to the world. We're all called to d- do this. This was the pattern of Jesus' life. And we talked a little bit last week about Jesus had a model of ministry that was really interesting. We talked about different versions of, you know, uh, metaphors, sorry, of the church, the bride. And all these different um, aspects of the, the uh, model that Jesus had or the metaphors that Jesus had of the church or the church. And then Jesus came on board and he started teaching us about what it looked like to be a family. Because that's one of the big metaphors of scripture about us as believers is being a family. And we talked about what it looked like to be a family on mission. And so we gave several different ways that you could be involved Uh, one was family or mission. We talked about that, which was really not a whole lot of fun because it uh, often involves celibacy, whether you intended to do it on the front side and you never get married because you want to devote your life to ministry. Um, That's fine if the Lord leads you down that road, more power to you, but it's not required, thank God, right? (laughs) You can actually have a spouse and be in ministry. Uh, We see this with, uh, obviously not with Jesus, although we are his bride and so that's a whole other metaphor. But we see it with Peter. We see him having a wife, and we see others who did as well. Um, then we talked about um, it could be family, uh, so family uh, or mission, which is a challenge. We could be family as mission, which is sometimes necessary. You want to minister into your family and your extended family, um, and that's okay as long as it doesn't stay there. Too often people say, "You know, my primary role is is to minister to my family," and it is, but it's not your only role. And so just keep that in mind that the whole goal is to get your family. On mission. So you build into them and you minister into them and you bring them into health and wholeness so that you, you can be a family on mission, which is, which is really the last one. It's a family on mission. What does that look like? And so we talked about um, it being discipleship as the way we are and not necessarily something we do. So often we create programs and we create these curriculums and all these different things that we do. And there's nothing wrong with organization. The Bible teaches us that, you know, the New Testament, we see the picture of the church as being organized and an organism. Um, We see it uh, organic and organized at the same time because it's the way God designed us. So there's nothing wrong with meeting together. Scripture says they met in the temple, which was a little more formal. And they met in house to house, which was a lot less formal. And so we just see... um, Basically starting to live out discipleship as a way of life, not as a thing we do or something that we add to, the, to our life. And so we covered that a little bit, so go back if you want to check in a little bit deeper with that. You can go back and listen to some of the messages we preached. But I want to start this morning with um, this interesting concept about thinking critically. So often we, as Christians, we get caught up into, we've always done it that way, <laughs> which just seems to be one of the favorite phrases of the church. But we've always done it that way. So it, it leads to the challenge of not changing. Now, don't get me wrong. Change, just for change's sake, is not really helpful. But often God challenges us to do something new, to do something different, to think a different way. L- literally, that's what it means to repent, is to think a different way. That's, it's, the word's metanoia. It means to take on a new mind, to think differently about God and your relationship with Him. That's what repent means. So often we've made repent just about crying at the altar and feeling really bad. The danger of that is, if, if we're not careful, that becomes the mechanism that we bring to God to take away our sin. All right? You've heard me say this before, it's like, you know, this time, Lord, I'm really sorry. Last time, I thought I was sorry, but this time, seriously, this time, Lord, I'm really, really sorry. Anybody ever done that? So you go through this pattern, if you're not careful, of thinking that repentance is feeling bad, and it's not. I mean, it is, don't get me wrong, you're going to feel bad for sinning, of course, I hope. Um, but the, the challenge is there's got to be something new that happens. You have to think differently. And so part of that is learning. That's why Jesus said, follow me. It's about learning who he is, his nature, his character, his ways. And then doing our life the way Jesus designed our life to be done. And it turns out that before we do life, we have to be alive. And that's what Jesus calls us to first. He says, for freedom, freedom's sake, I've set you free. It's about freedom. Get free. And so, you know, don't be put back under bondage. Paul talks about that in several places and other, other uh, New Testament writers as well. So just keep in mind that there's a, there's a challenge to us to think critically. In other words, as we're doing things, to, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions of leaders. I like it when people come and go, hey, Dave, how, come, how can we do this at DCF this way? And, and here's the thing. If I don't have a compelling reason, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that we really need to think into that and, and actually really begin to think, is this maybe the best way that we, we should do this? So one of the things we're doing right now is a, as a uh, leadership team, and we meet this afternoon, so pray for us. Um, we're meeting to talk through some of, the, some of the vision that we're going into in the future. And so we're talking somewhat about small groups and what that looks like. And so the question we always bring is, um, are the small groups bringing us what small groups were designed to bring us? And for the most part, they have been. We've been doing them this way for quite a while. Um, nothing wrong with groups, again, they met biblically, and met in the temple, and from house to house, so that's a picture of small groups, what we call small groups, they just called it house to house. So the whole point behind that is it's okay to do it that way, but you have to ask yourself from time to time, is it, is it actually happening the way it's supposed to? So those are some of the questions that we're asking about how we do evangelism, how we do mission, and how we can do those things better, how we can be more effective and more impactful. Um, how we can not wear the church out, right? Part of it is, and we're going to get to this in just a second, about asking you to do one more thing because that's what you need is one more meeting during the week, right? As a matter of fact, as a church culture, we've actually we stopped doing that. Most churches, well, a lot of churches nowadays, they don't meet midweek. They let that be the house-to-house type of meeting, which is awesome. We love that. Nothing wrong with meeting midweek if that's something you want to do. Um, also Sunday nights. We don't do Sunday nights very often anymore. So that's, again, part of it is just we recognize a culture is a very busy culture and one more meeting doesn't necessarily make you a better Christian. <laughs> right? So we go after, you know, what what are the meetings accomplishing on a Sunday morning? Are we getting from a Sunday morning what God intended Sunday mornings to look like? And so we're always asking those questions so it doesn't hurt to think critically. It's really interesting, there's a there's a question, I remember thinking about this reading through the book of Acts and then um, Jesus, you know, the Gospels in the book of Acts was heavy on the word disciple. So you, you see Jesus taking on disciples. You see discipleship early on in the, in the book of Acts. But what's really interesting is about Acts 21, as a matter of fact, Acts 21.16 is the last time that the word disciple is mentioned in the New Testament. I don't know if you knew that. And I remember thinking about this when I discovered this was... Well, why is that? Like, God's not an arbitrary God, so he, he probably had a good reason for doing that. So let me just read you Acts 21.16. This is the last time it occurs. It says, some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us. He's going to Jerusalem, Paul and his team. He said, accompanied us and brought us to the home of uh, Manasin, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So you see the connection in discipleship. You know, one of the early disciples didn't necessarily mean uh, he, was, he was a disciple of Jesus, but he was not obviously one of the 12. So he was, he was part of that discipleship um, scenario. And then what's really interesting is from that moment, again, um, the word disciples is not used again. It doesn't mean that the word disciple is not, it has been invalidated. It hasn't. I just want to clear that up. But something changed, and it's really interesting how it works. So you see something, a clue to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So I'm going to read that for you and see if you pick up on the, the transition. We mentioned this last week. It says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel, and therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So there's a lot going on in that, in that particular passage. But one of the first things he mentions, he, he touches on what we would call a, a, a Greco-Roman concept, which was this guardianship. He said, he said it this way. He said, if you, if, even if you had 10,000 guardians. And so it, you know, we can read that if we don't understand the context, it doesn't have as much meaning as if we go back and understand the context. So the guardian, I've shared this before. Um, the Bible talks about the law was like this word, a guardian. Or a tutor or a school, school teacher that would lead us to Christ. You know, that's what the purpose of the law. And Paul's saying that I, in my ministry to you, even though you might have many guardians, that's not the role I played. So what was the role of a guardian? What they would do is they would take a child. they were usually um, someone connected to the family who would help raise up a child in their schooling. So, the, you know, the R's. Reading, writing, arithmetic, right? <laughs> so it would he, they would take them through that aspect of it until they were about thirteen years old. They'd finish their formal, you know, their formal schooling at that time, and then they would be placed. If they were a son, they were placed into whatever the father did, and and he would come all, alongside him, and he would become. I mentioned this last week. Become part of their guild. So if he if. Uh, if he was a, a carpenter or a stonemason, which carpenter or stonemason pretty much did the same thing. It was the same career field, if you will. Um, the son would come alongside their father and they would watch them do it. And then they would begin to participate. And then the father would allow them to do it. And then they would eventually become that themselves. So that's a pi- kind of a picture of what that was. What's interesting is Paul said, hey, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But it's not what I'm doing. So listen to what he said he was doing. He said... You do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. So he moves from the discipleship reference, which was a very Hebraic type of concept. Right. So the rabbis had disciples, Jesus was a rabbi and he had disciples. So, the, so discipleship was a very, in, in, uh, it, the, the word literally meant to them learner. Someone who would come alongside, walk with them, they would be with them, they would stay with them. And they would learn from them until they could become like them. That was the whole concept of discipleship. So that's still valid. We still do that. You and I, as believers in Christ, are also disciples of Christ. But Paul's making a transition here into something wholly different when he begins to talk about what we as the church ought to look like. And it's not a rabbi and a disciple model any longer. He's moving from that to a family model, a father and, a son. and he talks about it literally with, with Timothy. He says, um, for this reason I've sent to you Timothy, my son. Now, most of you guys know Timothy was not his biological son, right? He, he picked him up kind of along the way. But Timothy to him was a son through the gospel, and he was a son in the expectation as a father, he would speak into his life until Timothy became a father. So one of the things we challenge here is we say, hey, we, we love to have fathers and mothers in the house. And we have lots of fathers and mothers at DCF and have over the last 45 years of the history of this church. And that's amazing. We love it. But fathers and mothers don't just make sons and daughters. Oh, that's true of Timothy and he speaks to that. The expectation is fathers and mothers make fathers and mothers. Right? And so then it becomes an extended family. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, for this reason i sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Very specific about that. And this is what he says he'll do. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. Now he's saying he will remind you because Paul, when he came, spent time with the Corinthians. Right? He, he, he was a tent maker, he, he, he made tents on purpose, he, he made money with his own hands so that he could freely present the gospel so that no one could say he was doing it for money. This is something he, would, he, he spoke out of numerous times. Even though he said it's totally appropriate for people to be paid through the gospel, he goes into a whole treatise in, in 1 Corinthians 9, I think it is, and he goes after this, so that's not an issue. But what Paul was saying is, I want you to know, as he was a father to them, he was pouring himself out into them first at no cost to them, right? But the expectation eventually was that as you grew up as a son, that you became a father, and, and, and if you married, there's another father and mother in the house, and then you became part of the extended household, and you became part of the big picture of family in that day. So I'm going to get into this later on, not, uh, not for another several weeks, but we're going to talk about what it looked like um, for us to be a family in that day, just the culture of it. Their houses were made in a certain way where you could lock up the the, the gate at night, and usually they had a roof, uh, a place where you could go up and, and, and get cool, you know, in the cool of the day, they would be walking on the roof, that kind of thing, um, but it was also a high advantage or high vantage point so that if uh, marauders came into the, the villages, they would All the families would gather into their homes, and they would lock the doors behind them, the gates behind them, and they would climb up on the top, and they would defend the home from above. It's very interesting that, again, ties into some interesting metaphors about prayer and ministry and how we minister and how we defend. We defend from up, not from the bottom. And so it's very interesting how that picture of a family was, was that they would defend themselves. So they guarded. That was part of the role of the family was to guard and, and to cover and to keep people from harm. That was part of the picture of what they did. So Paul's missiology was really interesting in this because he moved from a Hebraic culture because he had been preaching to Hebrews. And all of a sudden he moves into, now he's preaching primarily to Greeks and to Romans eventually. So he speaks now in a language that they understand. He uses the analogy of the guardian to transition from that into the model of the way a family ought to be which is interesting because what he really did was he went from disciple in Acts 21, he moves up to the model, you know, to the guardianship model, and he speaks into that and he uses that when he's talking about the law, and then he moves into the father and the son and the family model, which, interestingly enough, just took it all the way back to Genesis, and we begin again. Isn't that cool? And so he was, he was reminding us, hey, here's how it, how it was supposed to be, In the beginning, this is what it was supposed to look like. So he goes after the family model. So Jesus obviously took it to the next level. So let me ask you this. What would it look like, practically speaking, if you were a family on mission? Let's just just do a little thought exercise. What if someone came to you and said, listen, we see the calling on your life and your family. It's amazing. We know you have a heart for Mexico. So we're going to pay you for the next two years to go to Mexico and be a missionary in Mexico. So what might, what might that look like? If you were fully funded to go to another culture for two years, what would it look like? How would you spend your time? What would you do? What would your intentions be? How much time would you spend? Would you sit in your house? Would you watch American TV only? Or would you begin to get involved in the culture around you? What kind of food would you eat? And so the list goes on. So would you learn the language? I would hope that you would learn the language. Would you find out what their needs are? If you're going to minister them, would you find out what their needs are? Would you join in their celebrations or would you with, withhold yourself and your family from that? Would you learn the culture? Would you adopt aspects of their culture? Would you learn their traditions and get involved? Would you get to know the people? Would you, would you learn the names of the people who lived around you in the, in the stores you went to? Would you dress, eat, and live in rhythm with the culture? And the answer is, yes, you would. because you're getting paid to do it, right? It turns out that you're getting paid to do that right now in your own culture. (laughs) Every one of you guys are getting a paycheck. Now, where you get the paycheck, whether it's from the church, a mission organization, or wherever you work, doesn't make a hill of beans difference, right? You and I are still called to the exact same thing that Paul was calling us to, that Jesus ultimately called us to, and that was to be a family On a mission, and that's the thing that Jesus did. Jesus called these guys into his mission. He didn't just say, "Hey, I'm going to save you," and we're going to sit around on the Mount of Transfiguration and talk about how glorious God He is, and you know we should build temples and stuff because that's what Peter wanted to do, right? Let's build a temple for everybody. It's like (laughs) you get a temple and you get—I mean, this is Peter's mindset, right? Because he was thinking from this these old these old models. Matthew 28. Jesus calls. I've read this maybe a million times. Um, Jesus came to them, said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And by implication, he's about to give it to us. He says, therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations. Your job, should you choose to accept it, (laughs) your mission, right, should you choose to accept it, is to go make disciples. That's it. That's what you're supposed to be doing. So are you doing that? Are you doing what God called you to do as a family on mission? And if you're like me, then there are aspects of that that have not, that they don't look like what Jesus meant for it to look like. And so part of our role and part of our movement forward as a church is to develop and talk through and discuss and, and, and pray and get revelation from the Lord. Lord, what does it look like to be a family on mission? So I'm going to talk about that. Mark 16, we know, is another passage. Um, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go preach the gospel. So what does that mean everybody should go to Africa and preach the gospel? No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, what if the Africans preach the gospel to Africa? Right? What if Americans preach the gospel to America and on and on? Don't get me wrong, there are unreached people groups and God's calling people to go reach them. Uh, listen, if you, got, if you have that call in your life, that's a powerful call and it's wonderful. But it is no better, right? no more challenging necessarily than the call you have to be a missionary into your own culture. To be on mission. So we talked about part of on mission was you don't ever go by yourself. And we're going to get into that. Where Jesus sent them out as a model. He sent them out two by two, never by themselves. Always at least two people went and did mission together. Um, God believes in team. Again, we're going to get into some of that. He talked about some of the methodologies. One of them was to find what he called a person of peace in a community, and so we're going to talk about what some practical aspects of what it looks like to do that. Um, We talk about from time to time what we call the Engel scale, which was a scale developed to help understand, you know, if zero is a person giving their life to Jesus, negative ten has some connotations and so does positive 10. So negative 10, maybe there's animosity towards God. Maybe they were hurt deeply by the church and, and they, or they just grew up without God and, and they have no concept of God. So maybe that's an eight. And we're just, sometimes what we forget is it's not about me praying the prayer of salvation with them. That's awesome if you get to do that. But the whole concept of making a disciple is moving them into the place where they become a learner of Jesus. So you become a teacher, you become a rabbi, Really, what God's trying to bring you to is become a father or a mother, right? So that's what he's aiming for. So we make excuses, of course. I'm too busy to do mission. Um, good luck explaining that to the guy who's paying you, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm so busy, I can't, I can't be a missionary. It's like literally, literally, that's what we are paying you to do, right? So you get to live in your house. You get all kinds of great things. Maybe you even live by the ocean. How awesome is that, right? <laughs> you got a great view. Maybe you have a horrible view. I don't know. But you're getting paid, so stop making excuses. Um, the biggest one, really, is this: I can't really add one more thing to my plate. And listen, I would agree with that. We're all we all live busy, productive lives. We're you know this is part of our culture. We we do that, and that's there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Outside of if we're doing it for all the wrong reasons, we can get so caught up into it, stress, and I mean you guys have heard me preaching to this millions of times. But the challenge is it, it it actually what would it look like if there were another way? What if God could work in what you are already doing? What if you didn't have to go to a mission organization and get, you know, uh, money so that you could go out? What if you didn't have to raise your own funds so you could go out and do it? What if the job you were were working in right now, what if every day, think about this, every day you get to go somewhere where there are automatic relationships built right into your day, right? What if, you get to travel with these people? What if you're forced to spend time with them on a day-in, day-out basis? <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. What if you get to eat meals with them? What if you saw them in conflict? What if they saw you in conflict? Then every other week, somebody gives you a paycheck for being there, right? What would that look like? So don't get me wrong. We had a, a friend of mine who was a, he was, had an evangelism heart, big time, but he was also immature, and he would tell me sometimes, like he would get to talking to somebody on the line. He, they were uh, production line. And he'd get to talking, and they were calling him, you know, the office was calling him in to tell him, hey, listen, your production's way down, and you need to stop talking to people. And he goes, I'm, I'm being persecuted for Jesus' sake. And I said, no, you're stealing from the company, man. This, you Stop stealing from the company. How in the world are you going to share Christ if you're stealing from the company by, by talking to him about Jesus on work time? Right? Can you not do that during a break? Um, can you not talk and work at the same time? <laughs> is that possible, maybe? But again, his, his mindset was, oh, you know, they're persecuting. He's like, no, man, they're paying your paycheck, so honor them, but don't also stop doing ministry. So that's kind of the picture. So here's the truth, um, and this is what, one of the things I want to challenge. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Busyness is the enemy of love. See, if, if you are so busy and you have no margin in your life, You're busy at your work, you're busy at home, you're busy whatever, busy with your family. If you're not careful, you have created family as mission without even realizing you've done it. And so you have to be really careful of that. Um, You can do family or mission where it's like, okay, mission's too hard, so I'm just going to focus on family. Or you can say, you know what, I can do family and mission, which is what most of us really are trying to do. Which is better, but it's still a poor substitute for family on mission, where the mission is integrated into your everyday life. And the whole idea behind this this is you don't have to do one new thing. You just take what God is already doing in your life and become more missional. So we're going to talk about some ways to do that as we kind of wrap this up. So let me just give you six handles, if you will, for seeing normal rhythms of life where where you can find opportunities for mission. The first one is this. Is to be story formed. So what do I mean by that? Everybody has a story. If you don't think that's true, ask them. (laughs) Say, hey man, what's your story? And then just don't talk and watch what happens. People will share the living daylights out of their story. And you will find out more about them in five minutes listening to what they think their story is than if you were to get all kinds of missional in other ways. So be story formed. We need to be formed in God's story. How our story fits into the big story, his story, right? Don't be on the wrong side of his story, (laughs) okay? (laughs) So the picture is if you learn each other's story well, then you'll find out how their story fits into God and how their story fits into your story that fits into God. So what is the relationship, right? Uh, we were talking earlier, uh, I think it was Alan and I were talking, Alan served in a, in a place in Selma, Alabama, and it was interesting because he knew Mike back here, uh, Mike would come on the weekends to help out, and uh, he was telling me the story, and I'm like, I knew his story involved Selma. I did not know that Mike's story involved Selma. And I've known these guys for 12, 13 years, and all of a sudden, I, I find an interesting path that crossed in terms of how their story was beginning to, to connect long before they ever even got to DCF. And I love that. I think that's really amazing. And and so I want to just remind you and challenge you to learn each other's story. Part of us, the end part of us, is to get involved and get connected and say, hey, tell me your story. Let me just say this as we relate to one another in this body. When you see people do things, you can assume why they're doing what they're doing, and that's a really bad mistake. Don't do that. Learn their story, and you'll find out there's a one. There's a whole lot more forgiveness, a whole a lot more patience when you discover someone's story that you're looking at. Go, you know, why are they acting that way? You know, that's not okay. Why are they doing that? And then you learn their story, and you're like, why wow, my goodness, the fact that they're not even they're not dead or haven't killed somebody, that's actually pretty amazing. You know where where they are on the journey. So learn each other's story. It's community. This is what we do. Do you know each other's story enough to know the fears that maybe drive um, the story? Do you know? Parts of their story where they're not trusting God. And here's the most important thing. As you discover that, what do you think our job is in the one another's? It's to remind them of who they are in God's story. So you call out them, you know, when I look at you, this is what I see. You're amazing. And I just want to challenge you and just want to challenge you to come out. You know, we mentioned about uh, uh, Callie coming up and, and sharing. Part of that is she's a communicator. Part of that is she's, you know, God has a call on her in Dave's life. And so we want to encourage that. And so sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. I know many times I've been encouraged in, into my story, not even believing that it was possible. And then it became a major part of my story. So learn each other's stories. Be story-formed. Listen, we're always listening to a dominant voice. Remember in the garden, um, God tells these, these, these two people to do something, to be something. This is who you are, this is what you do. And another voice comes along and says something to him. And this is what he said, did the Lord say? So the question is, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of the culture? When you meet someone and you're trying to be missional and you see them, you don't know their story one way you do that is to listen to them. Ask them a question and be quiet and let them tell you their story. So that's helpful to do. Someone or something is telling us something, right? And so learn to listen to God first of all, but also learn to listen to people and what God is saying to them and you can help them in their story. You need to learn to listen both backwards and forwards. Backwards into scripture. What has God said already? And then forward into the vision, into the future that God has for you and your family and your story and how your story interacts with all of our stories and Dothan in the community and the region. This is the call that God has on our life. So backwards and forwards. Another thing to do is celebrate. This is something you find very interesting in Scripture, that God does this a lot. Like he literally, he built in celebrations to the culture. There was literally a feast, um, a celebratory tithe That Israel paid. They put money aside so they could go to the festivals. They call it a festival tithe, And so they would put money aside so they could go do this. We just mentioned we've got a men's conference coming up, right? So I want to encourage every man here to go to this conference. I want to encourage you because it's really, really good. Part of it is it's a celebration of men being men. Now, we don't snort and, you know, throw axes. We could, I guess, but, but that's not what it's about. It's, a, it's celebrating what it means to be a godly man. Part of that is the call of who you are as a man. So the culture's got a big voice trying to tell you something about that. And these guys that, who are put on this conference have a big voice in trying to tell you who God says you are as a man. Part of that is leadership and how do you lead your home and all these different things. But the whole point is, it's like, I don't know if I can afford that. Put money aside. <laughs> Put money aside for that. You know it's coming every year, the women's conference. I mean, not for the men, but for the women. Go to the women's conference, right? Put money aside. Why? It's a celebration. It's it's exciting. It's fun. It's an opportunity to go and celebrate what God's doing. Celebrate locally. Have birthdays. One of the best things that we can do as a people, one of the best things we can do is to celebrate with people who are celebrating because oftentimes they don't know how to do it. What's a typical worldly celebration, especially when when you're young? What does it look like? I get drunk, I pass out, I I vomit typically and probably fall into it, and then I tell everybody how amazing my weekend was. (laughs) No, it wasn't. Most of the time we're partying because life is hard to look at, and I don't want to look at it, so I'll party to forget, right? Celebration, what's interesting about the kingdom was celebration was about remembering. It's about remembering what God had done. What's a birthday party for? It's to celebrate that that person came into the earth, Think of it this way. You're celebrating that that person came into your story. Um, we celebrated not too, long, uh, not too long ago Karen's birthday. And uh, one of the things we always do, and she does this with us, and I, I, I do this with her, and we do this with a lot of you guys, is we somewhere in that celebration, we ask people to come and say, hey, what is God saying about Karen? What, what, here's a gift you could give Karen on her birthday. Pray and ask God, what does he say about her? could be something about her personality. Could be something that he's drawing out in her, could be a reminder, could be a promise, it could be it could be a hundred different things. But how powerful is it that you come into that celebration and you bring God's story into the celebration? What would it look like if you were invited to a friend's party? You know, so you've got enough relationship with them and you're not such a stick in the mud Christian that they actually invited you to the party, right? <laughs> Thinking that you might be okay. <laughs> and so you go to the party, what, what would it look like if somewhere during that time you said to that person, hey man, thanks so much for inviting me to this party. I, I'm thankful that I came into your life and our stories have, have you know connected. You know, I was praying for you and this is what I felt like God said about you. What do you think their response would be? Right? If we're trying to be missional, a celebrating is a way that we can get into people's lives. So I just want, want to ask you, Be intentional. Don't be additional. In other words, do what God is already doing in the culture and what you're already doing. Find ways to be missional without being weird about it. You don't have to be weird just just to be missional. But God is a celebrating God, and He wants to celebrate with even people who don't know Him. At the center of the gospel is joy and peace and life more abundantly. So, celebrate. Teach the world how to celebrate godly. What would it look like if a celebration didn't end with a hangover? <laughs> right? What, what if a celebration ended with, I have a great feeling about who I am because God said something into that. Here's another one. This one's simple. We know this one. It's, it's to eat together. Part of the rhythms of life is you eat about 21 times a week. Unless you're me. and then it might be 45 or so. I don't know. I like <laughs> Some of us like to eat. So what would it look like if you just invited in somebody into a meal? It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be a Thanksgiving-type meal. It could be literally what you're doing and just inviting someone into it. What would it look like if you said to somebody at work, hey, man, I'd love to have you and your family over for dinner, right? And what would you do when they came? Celebrate something, right? Have a barbecue, celebrate summer's coming. There's lots of ways to do it. You could have them over for dinner and just over dinner, not be weird about it, just say something along the lines, hey, tell me your story. You want to open up an evening for some interesting conversation. Ask someone to tell you their story. And then find ways. You don't have to do it that night. I'm just saying find ways. As you hear their story, what you're going to hear is you're going to hear parts of their story that don't line up with the story of God. Right? You're going to, you're going to see and hear unrighteousness. You're going to see and hear broken, brokenness and hurt, pain suffering. You're going to see all those things. And as you build relationship with them, you get to answer all of the wrong things that the enemy, the voices that the enemy's thrown at them, and you get to replace it with the dominant voice of God who loves them, who cares for them, and wants to redeem them. It's part of the process. So eat together. You're already eating. May as well use it as a missional tool. Bless people. We are blessed. Abraham, we talked about this. We're blessed to be a blessing. Let me read you this scripture so you know I'm still in the Bible. Deuteronomy 8 17 says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. He said, God saying, You may say that, but it's not true. <laughs> right? What should we say? But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to his ancestors as it is today. What's he saying? He's saying that everything you have, you are a steward. I am a steward of everything that we have. I have a home. I have a car. I have all kinds of different things. I have a guitar. Whatever I have, right? I have abilities and strengths. I have passions and talents. All these things that I have, I've been given this not for myself. Although God has no problem with me using it for me, right? There's no problem with me being wealthy. He has no problem with me having money. He just doesn't want money to have me. And so we know this is true. So what would it look like if we blessed other people, right? I mean, there's so much said about paying for the, you know, paying for the guy behind you in, in line at the, you know, checkout. Or I mean, maybe groceries might be too much. But, but in, in Starbucks or whatever, you know, that's one thing that you can do. And lots of churches do that. But, but part of it is just becoming a blessing. Setting aside some money and saying, you know what, this week or this month, we're, we're going to set aside some money to bless somebody in, in our church. So that's the end aspect of it. Or we're going to bless, you know, a family that, that needs some help. Whatever that, might, that, that case may be. It's so easy to do. Here's the challenge. is It's, it's challenging to want to bless people when we don't see them the way God sees them. We feel like we're blessing their sin, don't we, sometimes. And so one way you can push past that is to realize that every single person bears the image of God, no matter how flawed or how broken they are. Everyone does. And so you get to look for that instead of what is so obvious on the, on the front side, right? right? It's a challenge that my wife, I think, is calling it you know, digging for nuggets of gold, right? It's anybody can call out somebody's challenges and problems and issues, right? You can see that with just a simple conversation very difficult to bless someone and say, you know what, um, let, let's say someone's involved in a lifestyle that's purely sinful. And you know that. And they're known for that. You know, notorious even. And you look at them and go, you know what, can I tell you something I see in you? I think, I think God really smiles at this. There might be 20 things that you can name that he's not smiling about, right? <laughs> but I think a lot of times they actually know that. So we were blessed to be a blessing. And then lastly is to recreate. Or... What does it mean to have recreation in our life? What does it mean when you go and you have a good time? Let me read your scripture. This is 1 Corinthians 15.10. This is Paul. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Now, he's talking about the 12, <laughs> right? He's talking about the disciples. He's like, I worked those boys under the table. That's what I did. I shamed them. Well, it doesn't go that far. But that's what he's saying. He said, I worked harder than all of them. But listen to what he said. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So here's the thing. Um, If you find yourself constantly under stress and under pressure, and, and you're burning the candle at both ends and in the middle, part of what we have to do is come back and go, how do we build a lifestyle right that includes rest, first of all, and we talked about this before, how we live from rest, not to rest. The world works hard all week, parties like a rock star, and then the weekend they try to rest and they never rest enough. And then Monday they start all over again and they're still tired. And many of us find ourselves in the same rat race. What if we did what the Bible says is begin our week with rest, and from rest we work. And from that place, from a lifestyle, a rhythm of rest, and working from grace, working from the way God designed us to to be involved in the thing that I'm supposed to be involved in. I have people come to me from time to time and say, man, the, the job I have is killing me. And I'm like, my first question is, are you supposed to be there? Well, it's what I do, not what I ask you, right? Are you supposed to be there? Get clear. Does God want you there? Because if you get clarity about how, even if it's very, very challenging, you get clarity in a challenging situation, you can rest in the worst of all challenges. Why? Because you know clearly this is where God has you, and this is what he has you doing. You're going to be fine, right? So it's helpful. And then from that place, do something that breathes life into you. Recreate, recreate life back inside of you. For some of us, you know, maybe you love to worship, and that's something, listen, all of us should do that, of course. But for some of you, that man, that just drives almost everything you do. So make space for that. Make tons of room for that. Some of us, it's, you know, it's being by ourselves. Some of it's being with people. Make room for that. Make time for that. But use it in a missional way. When you do re- recreation, what if you played as hard as you worked? Right? What if you learned how to relax and have a good time and be part of the world where you can have a good time with the world without ever feeling like you've compromised your value system your beliefs? It's real easy to say and sometimes very difficult to do. It's a tension that you have to hold. Let me close with this. I want to challenge you guys. As we move into the fall and into next year, the Lord is challenging us as a people to rebuild foundations of mission, to come back to, are we making disciples like we ought to? It's not a guilt trip. It's not smack us around. But it is a challenge to say, are we fulfilling everything that God's called us to fulfill personally in our lives and then therefore as a church? Because here's the thing. If we're doing that, that's where the life of God flows. So if you find yourself, you know, just burnt out, if you find yourself stressed out, if you find yourself just in, in, a, in a tough place, re-rhythm your life. I, Karen and I do this on a regular basis. We'll look at our calendar and go, man, we're, we we got to do something different. Now listen, maybe that's going to take two months for us to make the transition. Maybe we've got commitments, and we want to honor those commitments for, the, for those two months. That's fine. But starting in month three, Make my three re-rhythmed, amen? If you do that, you're going to make a change in your life. Here's another thing is be intentional versus additional. Don't go and add one more thing to your life. Don't do that. Later on, if God says, hey, I want you to cut this out so that you can do this, prune so you you can grow a, a healthier and a more fruitful tree, amen? But in the meantime, don't worry about additional. Just be intentional about the mission that you're on. Where, I mean, the person that you're getting your haircut with, is that a person you can build a relationship? Who are the people that are already in your life that you can build a relationship with? And then learn to take people along and begin to be a family on mission, which means if you're going to the grocery store, rather than making coffee to talk to somebody about some challenges in their life and they want to talk to you, call them and say, hey, I'm going to the grocery store, come go with me, help me shop, that's going to be 30, 45 minutes that we can talk while we're doing something we're already doing. Be intentional, not necessarily additional. And lastly, answer the two questions that disciples everywhere for all of time have had to answer. What is God saying to me, and what am I doing about it? So from this message, what I hope you don't get is a guilt trip. Because if you do, I've I got to get better at communication. <laughs> right? So don't do that. That's not helpful. God's not beating you up. He, God loves us not because we're good and doing it right, but because he's good and he's doing it right. Amen? So that's the grace aspect of it. And the grace, the Bible says grace teaches us to say no to sin. In other words, if we're missing the mark in mission as, this, as making disciples, if we feel guilt and shame and condemnation, you've allowed the enemy to get into the repentance cycle with you. Don't do that. Don't let the enemy into your repentance, Okay? take on a new mind and say god what are you saying to me from this series from this message about becoming a family on mission right even if you're single you can still be a family on mission <laughs> jesus modeled family on mission as a single man go figure right so i want to just challenge you re-rhythm your life prepare to pair means to prune away prepare so that when God does what he's doing in and among us, and he's doing it already, I just had a conversation with a guy up at, at the base over, um, over lunch. A uh, guy I've never met, ended up in a phone call, and had lunch with him same day. And talked to him, but he said, I just feel like I need to plug in. And I said, well, let me talk to you about what that looks like. And I shared the gospel, and he goes, at the end of it, he goes, I never heard anything like that before. I'm like, man, you are in for some really cool, good news. I've got so much more to share with you. It's going to be so much fun. So here's the thing. It's already beginning. So what I want to do is just challenge you guys to be a part of what God is doing in us as a church as we move forward into mission, to prepare, to begin to talk to the Lord about what you need to prune away right, in your family, in your personal life, and to get on track so that you are ready to build relationships, to go through these things that we talked about, and to build relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus so that you can bring them into the greatest joy that's ever going to exist in all eternity in their lives. Because they have been, whether they know it or not, their sin has been paid for them, and God is no longer angry with them. But they don't know that. And part of our great joy on mission is we get to share that good news and then open up and release into them all of the inheritance that God has for them to walk in the fullness that he's called them to since the, before the day they were born. Amen? Exciting times. We're going to have a good time. Why don't you stand with me? on want pray. Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us, Lord. You. You pour in good things into our life regardless of whether we do well or do poorly, Lord. Sometimes our consequences keep us from walking into the fullness of what you have for us. And so, Lord, we want to ask you, challenge us, Lord, um, as we're being discipled, as we hear new things or challenging things, Lord, that we would think a new way, that we would repent from our old way of doing and a way of thinking and become who you made us to be. And from that place in relationship with you, God, we launch out and we get to share the great awesome good news of the gospel that you no longer hold our sins against us. What a beautiful story we get to tell. So thank you, Lord, for the privilege of drawing us in to this incredible mission. We can't wait to see what you do. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Dave. So what does it look like for you to be a family on mission? I I think oftentimes God uses the strengths that you already have in your mission, and sometimes you use strengths that you don't even realize you do have, and that's that's what Dave was talking about, finding those, those gold nuggets, and that's where we come along beside each other and just, just speak into each other's lives. Um, so yeah, this week, ask God, what does it look like for, for me to be a, a family on mission? Uh, if you need prayer this morning, uh, whether in-house or online, please uh, just uh, reach out to us. Grab grab someone in leadership. Anyone you 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 feel comfortable with, we would love to pray for you. Uh, if you're online, uh, just shoot us a message on uh, an email or just however you want to connect with us through our social media. Uh, we we enjoy having you here with us, and we are uh, excited for what God is doing in DCF, and we we would love for you to be a part of it. Um, yeah, so we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good one.